Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 50 Continued Misfortunes All was so still around us, and our panace was so completely hidden with its canopy of verdure, that I could not help regretting that I had not accompanied my sons. It was now too late, but my steps involuntarily turned to the road I had seen them take. Ernest remaining on the rocks in search of natural curiosities, but I was suddenly recalled by a cry from Ernest, Father, a canoe, a canoe, alas, is it not ours? I said, rushing to the shore where indeed I saw beyond the reefs a canoe floating lightly, apparently filled with the islanders, easy to distinguish from their dark complexions. This canoe did not resemble ours. It was longer, narrower, and seemed to be composed of long strips of bark, quite rough, tied together at each end, which gave somewhat of a graceful form to it, though it evidently belonged to the infancy of the art of navigation. It is almost inconceivable how these frail barks resist the slightest storm, but these islanders swim so well that even if the canoe fills, they jump out, empty it, and take their places again. When landed, one or two men take up the canoe and carry it to their habitation. This, however, appeared to be provided with outriggers to preserve the equilibrium, and six savages with a sort of oars made it fly like the wind. When it passed the part of the island where we were, we held it as loudly as we could. The savages answered by frightful cries, but showed no intention of approaching us on entering the bay. On the contrary, they went on with great rapidity, continuing their cries. I followed them with my eyes as far as I could in speechless emotion. For either my fancy deceived me, or I faintly distinguished a form of fairer complexion than the dark-hued beings who surrounded him. Features or dress I could not see. On the whole, it was a vague impression that I trembled alike to believe or to doubt. Ernest, more active than I, had climbed a sandbank, and with his telescope had commanded a better view of the canoe. He watched it round a point of land, and then came down almost as, as much agitated as myself. I ran to him and said, Ernest, was it your mother? No, father, I am certain it was not my mother, said he. Neither was it Francis. Here he was silent. A cold shuddering came over me. Why are you silent, said I. What do you think? Indeed, father, I could distinguish nothing, said he. Even with a telescope, they passed so quickly. Would that it were my mother and Francis. We should then be sure they were living and might follow them. But a thought strikes me. Let us free the panace and sail after the canoe. With the sail, we can go quicker than they. We shall overtake them behind the cape, and then we shall be at least be satisfied. I hesitated lest my sons should come back. But Ernest represented to me that we were only fulfilling the wishes of Fritz. Besides, we should return in a short time. He added that he would soon disencumber the panace. Soon, cried I, when we have been at least two hours in covering it? Yes, said he, but we had a dozen journeys to make to the trees then. I will have it ready in less than half an hour. 
I assisted him as actively as I could, though not with good heart, for I was uneasy about abandoning my sons. I would have given wor worlds to see them arrive before our departure, to have their assistance, which was of much consequence in the Panas, and to know that they were safe. I only left of the work to take a glance into the interior of the island, hoping to see there. Frequently I mistook the trees, if their light was now coming on for moving objects. At last I was not deceived. I saw distinctly a figure walking rapidly. They are here, I cried, running forward, followed by Ernest, and we saw a dark-colored figure approaching. I concluded it was a savage, and though disappointed, was not alarmed, as he was alone. I stopped and begged Ernest to recollect all, the words he had met with in his books of the language of the savages. The black man approached. Conceive my surprise when I heard him cry in my own language. Don't be alarmed, father. It is I, your son Fritz. Is it possible? said I. Can I believe it? And Jack? What have you done with my Jack? Where is the... Speak! Ernest did not ask. Alas, he knew too well. He had seen with his telescope that it was his dear brother Jack that was in the canoe with the savages. But he had not dared to tell me. I was in agony. Fritz, harassed with fatigue and overwhelmed with grief, sunk down on the ground. Oh, father, said he, sobbing, I dread to appear before you without my brother. I have lost him. Can you ever forgive your unfortunate Fritz? Oh, yes, yes, we are all equally unfortunate, cried I, sinking down beside my son, while Ernest seated himself on the other side to support me. I then besought Fritz to tell me if the savages had murdered my dear boy. He assured me that he was not killed, but carried off by the savages. Still, he hoped he was safe. Ernest then told me he had seen him seated in the canoe, apparently without clothes, but not stained black as Fritz was. I earnestly wish he had been, said Fritz, to get to that. I attribute my escape. But I am truly thankful to God that you have seen him, Ernest. Which way have the monsters gone? Ernest pointed out the cape, and Fritz was anxious that we should embark without delay, and endeavor to snatch him from them. And have you learnt nothing of your mother and Francis, said I? Alas, nothing, said he though I think I recognized a handkerchief belonging to dear mother on the head of a savage. I will tell you all my adventures as we go. You forgive me, dear father? Yes, my dear son, said I. I forgive and pity you, but are you sure my wife and Francis are not on the island? Quite sure, said he. In fact, the island is entirely without inhabitants. There is no fresh water, nor gams and no peds whatever but rats and kangaroos but plenty of fruit i have filled my bag with breadfruit which is all we shall need let us go we worked so hard that in a quarter of an hour the branches were removed and the panas ready to receive us the wind was favorable for carrying us towards the cape the savages had turned we hoisted our sail and i took my place at the helm of the sea the sea was calm, and the moon lighted our way. After recommending ourselves to the protection of God, I desired Fritz to commence his melancholy recital. It will be melancholy indeed, said the poor boy, if we do not find my dear Jack. 
I shall never forgive myself for not having stained his skin before my own. Then he should have been with you now. But I have you, my dear son, to console your father, said I. I can do nothing myself in my deep sorrow. I depend on you, my two eldest, to restore to me what I have lost. Go on, Fritz, we went on, continued he, with courage and hope, and as we proceeded we felt that you were right in saying we ought not to judge of the Allen by the borders. You can form no idea of the fertility of the Allen, or of the beauty of the trees and shrubs we met, with at every step quite unknown to me. Some were covered with fragrant flowers, others with tempting fruits, which, however, we did not venture to taste as we had no nips to try them. Did you see any monkeys? asked Ernest. Not one, replied his brother, to the great vexation of Jack, but we saw parrots and all sorts of birds of the most splendid plumage. Whilst we were remarking these creatures, I did not neglect to look carefully about for any trace that might aid our search. I saw no hut, no sort of dwelling, nor anything that could indicate that the island was inhabited and not the slightest appearance of fresh water, and we should have been tormented with thirst if we had not found some coconuts containing milk and an acid fruit full of juice, which we have in our own island, Ernest called Carambolier. We quenched our thirst with this as well as with the plant we also have, and which contains water in the stem. The country is flat and open, and its beautiful trees stand at such a distance from each other that no one could hide amongst them, but if we found no dwellings, we often discovered traces of savages, extinguished fires, remains of kangaroos and of fell, coconut shells, and even tear nuts, which we secured for ourselves. We remarked also footmarks on the sand. We both wished anxiously to meet with a savage, that we might endeavor to make him comprehend by signs whom we were in search of hoping that natural affection might have some influence even with these untaught creatures. I was only fearful that my dress and the color of my skin might terrify them. In the meantime, Jack, with his, un with his usual rashness, had climbed to the summit of one of the tallest trees and suddenly cried out, Fritz, prepare your signs. The savages are landing. Oh, what black, ugly creatures they are, and nearly naked. You ought to dress yourself like them to make friends with them. You can stain your skin with these throwing me down branches of a sort of fruit of a dark purple color, large as a plum with a skin like the mulberry. I have been tasting them. They are very nauseous, and they have stained my fingers black. Rub yourself with the juice of this fruit, and you will be a perfect savage. I agreed immediately. He descended from the tree while I undressed, and with his assistance I stained myself from head to foot as you see me. But don't be alarmed. A single dip in the sea will make me an European again. The good-natured Jack then helped to dress me in a sort of tunic made of large leaves, and laughed heartily when he looked at me, calling me Omnibot, of whom he had seen a picture, which he declared I exactly resembled. I then wished to disguise him in the same way, but he would not consent. He declared that when he met his m with mother and Francis, he should fly to embrace them, and that he should alarm and disgust them in such a costume. 
He said I could protect him if the savages wished to devour him. They were now at hand, and we went forward, Jack following with my bundle of clothes under his arm. I had slung my kangaroo skirt bag of powder and provisions on my shoulders, and I was glad to see that most of the savages wore the skin of that animal. For the most part, spread out like a mantle over their shoulders. Few of them had other clothes, excepting one who appeared to be the chief and had a tunic of grassy rushes neatly woven. I tried to recollect all the words of savage language I could, but very few occurred to me. I said at first, Teo, Teo. I don't know whether they comprehended me, but they paid me great attention, evidently taking me for a savage. Only one wished to seize my gun, but I held it firmly, and on the chief speaking a word to him, he drew back. They spoke very rapidly, and I saw by their looks they spoke about us. They looked incessantly at Jack, repeating, To Viati, Yaiata. Jack imitated all their motions and made some grimaces, which seemed to amuse them. I tried in vain to attract their attention. I had observed a handkerchief twisted round the head of him, who seemed the chief. That reminded me much of the one my mother usually wore. I approached him, touching the handkerchief, saying expressively, Mutur ain mur etata friuri. I added, pointing to the sea, Pekanot. But alas, they did not appear to understand my words. The chief thought I wished to rob him of his handkerchief and repelled me roughly. I then wished to retire, and I told Jack to follow me. But four islanders seized him, opened his waistcoat and shirt, and cried out together, Alia tia tata. In an instant, he was stripped, and his clothes and my own were put on in a strange fashion by the savages. Jack, mimicking all their contortions, recovered his shirt from one of them, put it on, and began to dance, calling on me to do the same. In a tone as if singing, repeated, Make your escape, Fritzo, while I am amusing them. I will then run off and join you very soon, as I could for a moment think of leaving him in the hands of these barbarians. However, I recollected at that moment the bag of toys and trinkets you get, had given me. We had thoughtlessly left it under the great tree where I had undressed. I told Jack in the same tone I would fetch it if he could amuse the savages till I returned, which he might be certain would be very soon. I ran off with all speed and without opposition arrived at the tree. Found my bag well guarded indeed, father, for what was my surprise to find our two faithful dogs, Turk and Flora, sitting over it. Flora, cried I, she accompanied my dear wife and child into their captivity. They must be in this island. Why have we left it? My dear father, continued Fritz, depend on it. They are not there, but I feel convinced that the wretches who have carried off Jack hold dear mother and Francis in captivity. Therefore, we must at all events pursue them. The meeting between Flora and me was truly joyful, for I was now convinced that my mother and Francis were not far off, though certainly not on the same island, or their attached friend would not have acquitted them. I concluded that the chief who had taken my mother's handkerchief had also taken her dog and brought her on this excursion, and that she had here met with her friend Turk, who had rambled from us. After caressing Flora and taking up my bag, I ran off full speed to the spot where my dear Jack was trying to divert the barbarians. As I approached, I heard cries, not the noisy laughter of the savages, but cries of distress from my beloved brother, 
Cries of help addressed to me. I did not walk. I flew till I reached the spot, and I then saw him bound with a sort of strong cord made of gut. His hands were fastened behind his back, his legs tied together, and those cruel men were carrying him towards their canoe, while he was crying out, Fritz, Fritz, where are you? I threw myself desperately on the six men who were bearing him off. In the struggle, my gun, which I held in my hand, caught something and accidentally went off. And, oh, father, it was my own dear Jack I wounded. I cannot tell how I survived his cry of, You have killed me! And when I saw his blood flow, my senses forsook me, and I fainted. When I recovered, I was alone. They had carried him off. I rose and followed the traces of his blood, arrived fortunately at the shore just as they were embarking. God permitted me to see him again, supported by one of the savages, and even to hear his feeble cry, voice cry, Console yourself, Fritz, I am not dead, I am only wounded in the shoulder. It is not your fault. Go, my kind brother, as quickly as possible to father, and you will both. The canoe sailed away so swiftly that I heard no more, but I understood the rest. You will both come and rescue me. But will there be time? Will they dress his wound? Oh, father, what have I done? Can you forgive me? Overwhelmed with grief, I could only hold out my hand to my poor boy and assure him I could not possibly blame him for this distressing accident. Ernest, though greatly afflicted, endeavored to console his brother. He told him a wound in the shoulder was not dangerous, and the savages certainly intended dressing his wound or they would have left him to die. Fritz, somewhat comforted, begged me to allow him to bathe and to divest himself of the coloring which was now become odious to him, as being that of those ruthless barbarians. I was reluctant to consent. I thought it might still be useful in gaining access to the savages, but he was certain they would recognize him in that disguise as the bearer of the thunder and would distrust him. I now recollected to ask what had become of his gun, and was sorry to learn that they had carried it off while she lay in, insensible. He himself considered that it would be useless to them, as they had fortunately left him the bag of ammunition. Ernest, however, regretted the loss to ourselves, this being the third we had lost. The one we had left in the canoe, being also in the possession of the savages, the dogs we missed too, and Fritz could give no account of them, we concluded they had either followed the savages or were still in the island. This was another severe sorrow. It seemed as if every sort of misfortune was poured out upon us. I rested on the shoulder of Ernest in my anguish. Fritz took advantage of the silence and leaped out of the binoc to have a bath. I was alarmed at first, but he was such an excellent swimmer, and the sea was so calm that I soon abandoned my fears for him. Chapter 